following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast, where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Welcome back to Diet Buddies to another episode. Uh, today is Dr. Grady and myself, no guests, and today we're going to be talking about leg day. Uh, so welcome back, and we are excited to have your ear once again and just share the space and share uh, things that really matter. So yeah, thank you. We're, we're both excited to talk about you know some things that we love to do, which is working out and specifically leg day. Um, I think we both really like leg day and um, hopefully we can help help people navigate leg day successfully, whether that's dealing with blood sugar. Um, we'll probably be talking mostly about blood sugar and how to navigate different types of leg days and, and workouts um, around that. But yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun to get into it. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And uh, I ended up doing a little bit of legs uh, myself today. But uh, as of today, when we were recording this, it's beginning of November. And so, you know, it's November 2nd right now. And uh, that's November is Diabetes Awareness Month. So congratulations to all the diabetics out there for this is our month. You know, we made it in 2020 somehow, but we made it to the month 11. And uh, obviously, this month is really important to, uh, you know, there's more fuel to the fire in terms of sharing things about diabetes, sharing your experiences. Uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to have more conversations here on this pod podcast and, and just interact with people in a way that really helps with uh, this month and just more diabetes awareness in general. And so uh, this month is just really, really important to uh, spread the word about, you know, your personal experience, whether that's you sharing it with, coworkers, you sharing with family members, uh, you interacting with other diabetics on social media, or even us here on this podcast, you know, so uh, this is a really, really cool month that I, I do really enjoy. I'm actually, it's the most excited I've ever been for like a diabetes awareness month. I don't know about you, but I think I, I'm actually excited for things to happen throughout this month. Yeah, that'd be, it's always nice to feel that community. And because you know, Depending on your situation, some people feel very alone um, with their diabetes because they may not know anybody around them. Um, so seeing more on social media and interacting more with people, I think is very healthy for everybody as far as their mindset goes and just, you know, living life with diabetes. Yeah. And, you know, today I got an email from the American Diabetes Association because, you know, I subscribe to their email list. And, uh, you know, when I started getting in more motivated to try to be involved in a diabetes space was probably when in 2017, when I was raising money for the ADA and for doing that marathon. And at that point in 2017, the ADA was predicting by 2050, one in three people are going to be diabetic. You know, doesn't matter type one or type two. Uh, 
Um, and at that point, there was 29 million diabetics in the United States. So this is three years ago, right? Here in 2020 now, there is as of uh, 31 million. So in the course of three years, there is that giant increase in diagnosis and diabetes in the country. And so I think it's like one in, one in 10, I think is what the email was saying you know, that I read this morning. But more shockingly was this, was that because of those diabetics that are insulin dependent, one in four are rationing insulin. Wow. That's like, crazy. yeah, crazy. <laughs> it doesn't even begin to describe it. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. This is, that was just something I saw today, you know, when I was kind of checking my email and beginning of work and I was just like, wow, that is, that is a wild statistic. One in four insulin dependent ration their insulin. Mm-hmm. So the conversations we have this month and conversations we continue to have, are always important. So continue mm-hmm. to be loud and proud about being diabetic. So yep. anyways, random tangent already, not even like five minutes in. All right. But squatting, right? So uh, today uh, I was squatting and doing some overhead squat myself, but I think what we wanted to talk about is not necessarily just experiences and maybe you and I, Gray, we'll, we'll share experiences throughout these in terms of like specific, like lifting events, if we can remember, but almost like, what would you do? You know, what would you do in this scenario, right? So, uh, great. I want to ask you, you know, almost from the basic, uh, you know, the perfect situation is if you're going into, first, let's almost like define like what a leg day is, right? Like what in your mind, great, what define like what a strength training leg day is versus maybe like a max out or, or like a casual leg day. Like what are those, if anything, differences between those, if you're working, going to the gym, lifting legs doing leg workouts, what do those three or two things mean? Yeah, so that's going to – I'm going to have a long answer to this question because there's a lot to unpack just with that question right there. And um, so I would say right now I'll kind of go through my different types of leg days I do right now, but then I'll get into the type of leg days that are out there. So um, right now – I keep it very similar as as far as the amount of exercises that I do, the amount of reps, and the amount of sets that I do. Um, so for the most part, that all stays the same. The only difference is the types of, of, of exercises. So um, I have certain leg days where they are harder, more intense. I have a bigger response to them, um, whether that be metabolically or, or blood sugar-wise. And so those, those harder ones and bigger response days, those are typically going to include the bigger lifts, the lifts that incorporate, for the most part, a large majority of your body, not just your legs. So um, like back squats is a big one for me. Um, also deadlifts. Um, those, two, those two are usually the big foundational ones. So I don't usually do those on the same day. I did do that in the past and that didn't work out too well for me because my core got <laughs> tired and then bad things happened. So, um, so I split those up now. So back squat and deadlift are my two big lifts that I'll usually do um, on my harder days. And then from there, it kind of tapers down a little bit, but that kind of sets the tone. And so with those bigger lifts where I lift generally heavier weight, 
um, and it takes more effort whole body wise to do those things, then obviously that's going to have a bigger impact overall on the body. And so I'm using, especially with those two lifts, it's hard to really isolate whether you're using mostly hamstring, mostly quads with deadlifts, you're probably going to get more hamstrings and posterior chain muscles than you are um, with back squat. But for the most part, both of those, you're going to get a heavy dose of both quads and hamstrings. So basically front and back of the legs. And um, so hitting both of those big, big muscle groups is going to have a big impact on um, your body metabolically and just um, kind of overall um, going to have a big impact. And so my lighter leg days are going to be um, easier things. Um, so things like um, lunges or maybe leg press where that takes out the upper body. It's only legs. Um, um, things like that where it's, it's fairly simple, even like uh, hip thrusts uh, or glute bridges, um, mm -hmm. those types of things where it's really focusing heavily on the legs and there's really not a whole lot of upper body co um, component to it. If I have a workout with most of those in there, then it's usually a, an, an easier workout. I get through it much quicker because it's not um, as gruesome and wear, wears me down as much. And so at the same time with those, I generally don't have as big a response with it. Um, but I'd say overall leg day, no matter what type it is, is going to have a bigger impact on, on my body, whether blood sugar metabolically than say if I'm doing mainly upper body type stuff. Um, so, you know, in general leg day for me has a pretty big response. Now, yeah, go ahead and ask your question. I was going to say, yeah. So, that's because correct me if i'm wrong you know your legs that those muscle fibers are so long they're so big uh, the mitochondrial content you know it's so responsible of holding you upright that when you go and have your effort on that it's going to create a bigger demand metabolically on you and therefore in a non-diabetic your body would have the the regulation to try to use it hormones use glucagon insulin epinephrine and cortisol all these things simultaneously to keep your blood sugar level, like as in any situation, but it's adapting, but it's increasing the demand of effort. But because as if you're insulin dependent, you know, like you and I and many people are, you know, it's going to take more planning and more effort to that. Therefore, uh, have strategies around if you're doing maximal effort uh, leg day compared to maybe if you were even the leg day. Do you notice that you said you do notice a difference in like a casual leg day versus just like a casual upper body workout? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like even on a casual leg day, I'm going to have a, a, for me, I'll have a bigger drop in blood sugar than with a, um, with an, even a higher intensity upper body day compared to my lower intensity, lower body day, it's mm -hmm. not even, not even close. So, um, on leg day, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll eat beforehand or if I eat beforehand, maybe I don't take as much insulin. Whereas on a upper body day, I pretty much for the most part, take exactly the same amount if, as if I hadn't worked out. Um, so it, it, it definitely has a noticeable difference, whether it's, um, casual or or more intense mm -hmm. and you saying that real fast made made me think of because now that we're talking about lifting on this episode in particular uh, when we talk about fuel or when we go and 
commentary on fuel, uh, you sh- we're not, it's not from the standpoint of a diet in any means. It's like you're, the food you should eat for the majority of people should be to fuel your workouts, fuel your body and recovery and not be in a calorie restriction mindset of 2,000 calories, 15,000, ca- 1,000 calories, 3,000 mm-hmm. calories. And, you know, uh, when, to somebody who is an experienced lifter or maybe you're not lifting a lot and you're trying to get in the gym more, uh, you know, the fuel you need is, is just the fuel you need. Food is fuel. And so you should think about it that way. And when you're planning, you know, like you're saying, uh, the insulin you need, maybe you eat beforehand. You're doing that because they're like just kind of pushing yourself to see how far you can go. So it can take like an hour, hour and a half, um, crazy long time just to do one exercise. And so in those, in those cases, I've had my blood sugar just tank on me because my body's putting out a max effort. Um, not necessarily really high intensity as far as, you know, it's go, 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 but it's like a hard go rest, hard go. And it's, and it's like that for, um, for, uh, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And so I'll have my blood sugar. I used to, when I did that, would have it tank on me, like pretty hard. Like I would be doing, you know, maximal effort, like low reps, three reps, three to one to three reps. And I'd go and check my blood sugar after, after like say the third set and it'd be like crash into like forties and thirties. And, um, so it can be deceiving. You can look at it and say, well, I'm doing a lot of resting. I shouldn't, shouldn't really have to worry about it, but it's a really high intensity in that moment on your muscles. And so it can have a really, really big response with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in those responses, you can think about it this way, or, or you shouldn't rather think about it this way. High intensity in terms of like a, a, a strength training workout doesn't mean you're huffing and puffing yeah. necessarily. It doesn't mean like what you would think of when you watch uh, commercials or movies where the you're just out of breath because you're going so hard. That's a different type of workout. There, you're breathing heavy because you're creating a higher oxygen demand because the cells in your body are trying to be firing at a much faster rate. And so this has to do everything with your metabolic rate and therefore then you're trying to catch up. That's literally what your body's trying to do at that moment where when you're taking those breaks that you describe right now, you have all the time you, for oxygen consumption. That's not the issue. Mm. But you're damaging the, your muscles and you're purposely breaking them down and then it's so hard because then the body then is using hormones and then stability of your metabolism to then recover. And that's where the demand comes from. You're not going to see drastic changes in heart rate and heart rate variability and workout like that, where you would see a lot of heart rate variability change in a running workout, but you know, where you're huffing and puffing, where a strenuous leg day, your heart rate variability isn't going to like, and heart rate isn't going to change a whole lot, but it's still going to be impacting the actual muscles, just not your cardiovascular and breathing systems. Yeah, it's going to be impacting your muscles and glucose metabolism because, like I said, you're putting out a ton of effort, and that effort takes fuel, which is glucose in the body. And so you're going to be soaking up and you're burning up a lot of glucose in that in that short moment there, that maximal effort moment there. And so you still have to then replenish that. So whether it's your liver glycogen, um, glycogen um, in other cells. And if you start running out, then your blood sugar is going to start, start tanking. So 
Um, yeah, that's mm -hmm. something to keep in mind. And then the other end of that spectrum is then like your traditional high intensity interval type training where you're taking for the most part, pretty short breaks in between sets and you're just going to, you know, go hard, 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 um, and really high intensity. So like circuit type training, um, whether you, whether you think of that as CrossFit or whatever, um, but it's very much boom, boom, boom and going, going, going. And, um, that one for me has the same, very similar response to where obviously it's going to be tanking it really quickly because you're going to be burning up uh, a lot of glucose really fast. Um, and so it has a very similar effect, just probably maybe a little bit more immediate just because, um, it is such a go, go, go in that moment. Whereas in the, um, the low sets or the low reps and, um, and sets, is going to maybe take a little bit longer because it's over a little bit longer amount of time, um, but it's still going to have a very similar drop um, in my blood sugar. Mm. Yeah, so these different types of workouts are that important to keep in mind because these are all different variations of, of the same title of leg day, yeah. right? And this isn't even including running because then running and bike, bicycling and more mm -hmm. cardiovascular heavy is still technically then leg day, right? Like you do a run, your quads be on fire, calves be on fire, you know, and when you're running, it's more vastus lateralis or the outside part of your quads versus bicycling, which is the inside part of your quads or, you know, vastus medialis, you know. Mm -hmm. So those are all going to use your quads and your legs all very differently. And we're not even talking about that at this point. We're just talking about a strenuous uh, lift of the legs right now and various combinations and not even talking about scenarios which we'll go into now so the, but those things are important to know as you're trying to experiment with yourself figure out what you need to do and why responses are the certain the, the way they are you know? like we've always harped on getting data on yourself is super important and this is no exception if anything more of an exception like not exception just more of a reason to do so mm -hmm. because you can directly see so much faster the results of why things are different if you make a mental note or even better, actually keeping a log, which I've done plenty of times, of how that workout was different, what happened, and learning from that way. So knowing that there's variability in these types of workouts are really important before even just diving into uh, the scenarios we're about to go into. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. That being said, uh, let's say, uh, Grady, almost like from the standpoint, most of these scenarios will be from a higher strenuous, uh, higher strenuous leg day. So whether you know, you know, you're going in, you know, you're going to put a lot of effort in, um, not necessarily hit workout, but you know, it's just going to affect your blood sugar. So whether that means lower reps, high weight, or moderate in there, but you just know it's going to, you're going to be putting a lot of your energy into it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that being said, let's go with the perfect scenario. You know, um, let's go with your stable blood sugar at like a hundred, 120 milligrams per deciliter, um, for let's say an hour plus, or so you at least have an hour of stability going on into the workout. Do we want to have to throw sleep in there if you just woke up or not? No, it's not. We're not. Nah. No. Because that adds a different element to it too. Mm -hmm. But let's just say you're stable for an hour and you're around 100, 120 and you're heading into a big day. So what do you do? What's your strategy? You know, you and I are both pump users and we could comment on what maybe a non-pump user would do. Uh, 
um, which you might actually be able to answer better than me because I'm so finicky with my pump uh, comparatively <laughs> to you. Uh, so you'll be a pretend MDI user. I'll be a pretend pump user okay. in these scenarios. And uh, <laughs> well, so what do you do? What are, you're going into leg day. You're stable, 120, high effort. What do you? How do you approach that scenario there? Yeah. So um, let's also maybe preface because with the sleep um, thing, if you just woke up, let's also preface the fact that you have eaten that day. So okay. that to me provides more stability in that context because if you haven't eaten yet and then you go and work out, it's going to have a much different response. So for me, right, so yeah. So, so for me, if, if I've eaten already and I have a 120 blood trigger, that's very level for an hour and I go into it, then I'm probably going to keep it at that and not mess with it too much until I feel like I need to. So I'll do, my warm up and everything and, and, you know, get, get my body warmed up. And usually that's going to be just kind of some, um, some band stuff and getting the body kind of loosened up, getting the blood flowing a little bit. So that way I don't go into some heavy lifting really cold. Um, and then I'll do, you know, my work, my, uh, warm up sets where I'll do pretty lightweight and then work at working my way up. Now, once I get to my working sets, um, I'll do probably one working set and then, or two. And then at that point, depending on how I feel, I may check my blood sugar again, because that's at least for me, that can be where my blood sugar starts to then uh, drop depending on how hard um, I've, I've already gone. So like, you know, some days you feel really good and that heavy weight that was supposed to be heavy, it feels really good. So for the most part, you feel pretty fine and it didn't, doesn't affect you as much. Um, so on those days, you know, I'll just kind of keep going as long as I feel good. Um, but around that time is maybe when my blood sugar might be starting to drop. So I'll check it again. Now, sometimes I'll feel the drop before it actually drops super low. So what I mean by that is um, it'll start dropping, but it won't be at that low level yet. Because if you have a sharp drop, a lot of times just by dropping sharply, you will feel low type symptoms. So you could be, you know, at 200 and then you drop really fast to 150 and you're at 150 and you're fine, but you feel low because of that sharp drop. So, um, hmm. so in that case, if I, if I'm at that 120 mark, then that's kind of like a good spot to be at. And I feel the drop, then I'm going to check my blood sugar and make sure I'm okay. If I have dropped, like say I'm at 120 or I was at 120 and I dropped to 100, that's technically a really good blood sugar, but I know, hey, I'm on that downslope and I'm doing leg day, so it's gonna keep going down. Um, so at that point, I'll drink one of my juice boxes, which is about 25 grams of, of sugar or carbohydrates, and, um, and that will help keep me um, up or at least um, save me from dropping too low. And so that way, obviously with legs like squatting, if you're putting a lot of effort into that, then, um, you don't want to be lightheaded, uh, going into that. So, cause, uh, cause bad things can happen to that. So, um, I'll try and, and catch that drop before it drops. Um, sometimes I don't always catch it. Um, so some, you know, sometimes it's already dropping a lot faster than I was expecting. And so, you have to drink a juice box and maybe wait a little bit longer than you want to. 
Um, but for the most part, that's how I handle a normal um, situation. Gotcha. So your strategy is to test, uh, you know, maybe once you're actually doing your lift uh, after so amount of time of warm up, right? So you're already using your body, using your muscles, uh, and then you test and then you kind of just have a juice box when needed. Uh, when you see a slope, a high or a, a low slope, a steep slope, I don't know, math. I don't know what the proper term would be, <laughs> uh, negatives and numbers, but you're dropping fast you might have a juice or you see a trend where you might have a juice box. You know, that's kind of, it's like, you know, you're stable because you've eaten and you know, you're just going to kind of dip low. So it's like only a question then of when are you having the juice box? Mm -hmm. Essentially. Is that, is that the strategy then? For the most part, like sometimes I can make it all the way through without a juice box. Like it, for, for example, if I eat a decent amount of like meat with um, a decent amount of fat in it, then sometimes that's enough to keep my blood sugar pretty stable throughout the whole thing because uh, especially if with that fat component because with me it'll kick in um like two hours later so if i time it right sometimes i can get by with not having to take a juice box at all um, um so depending on the the meal beforehand um, i may be able to avoid it but if it's been a while um and it wasn't necessarily a big heavy meal then it's it's likely, especially if it's going to be an intense leg day, it's likely that I'll have to drink a juice box sometime during that workout. Gotcha. And that's a uh, if you aren't if you're a diabetic, you know you're type one, and you're afraid to bring food into the gym. Screw anybody else that thinks weird of you. Otherwise, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. You know, I almost love specifically eating or drinking to a. <laughs> no eating or drinking side because yeah. I'm diabetic. Like, <laughs> so you got to do what you got to do. If you got to bring a bag, a small bag with you in a gym, or if you just carry a lot of stuff with you when it comes to this workout, that's what you got to do. You know, that's kind of our lives, but uh, it doesn't mean that you can't do the workout. And then, you know, because this is a medical condition, it's literally your life feel free to do what you got to do. And anybody tries to give you lip, give them the middle finger and, and <laughs> outlift them anyways. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not even lifting right now. My testosterone is going up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would have a, a similar approach, but you know, you kind of use it like you're not changing your insulin. You're going to using food to mitigate it. That's probably what an MDI user would, would think mm -hmm. about it. Right. Like you, even though you have a pump, you're pretty, like almost MDI minded with yeah. your pump yep. where I am so like robotic <laughs> with my pump. I love messing with basal rates. I love messing with the actual pump settings uh, in various types of workouts, which make it confusing because then your way is more straightforward in a way. And it's even more, it's more controls, less variables. So it's easier yeah. to learn. Right. Uh, not saying mine's harder, like because it's harder. I just the way I choose to manage my diabetes that ends up creating more variables and therefore more challenges, mm -hmm. right? So what I mean by that is, if I were going that scenario, I was perfect. I would be. I would say, great. I probably don't need to uh, mess with my my food intake or my insulin, but I do know that I will eventually drop, right? If I know I'm stable, I've been up for a while, I have food in me and I'm stable for an hour, 
and I start lifting, I know I will go low. So you can use your basal rates if you're a pump. Now, I'm experienced with a Medtronic pump. I'm sure with the Tandem and uh, I'm not sure about Omnipod. I don't think you can mess with Omnipod the same way. You can mess with a Tandem and a Medtronic pump. I could be wrong about that. Probably should know, but I don't from my own personal experience. So anyways, you can mess with basal rates. And the reason why that's an effective strategy is because when you are working out, you are increasing your heart rate, even if it's only by 10 to 15, 20 beats per minute, right? So the insulin, when your heart rate's higher, your insulin's gonna be flowing in your body at a faster rate and be utilized at a different rate, which means the more you change the concentration of insulin in your blood, the more, or it's rather, the more you change the insulin concentration in your blood and the more it moves in your body, the quicker the effect will be. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a explanation to say, you can use basal rates, change it for a workout and have a quicker response than if you were just changing your basal rates and not working out. Mm-hmm. So for me going into that, I would probably say, you know, maybe 15 minutes in, I would check my blood sugar. And if I feel like I'm kind of stable, I might change my basal rate to like 90%. Still pretty close to what I'm getting, but enough to lower it to kind of start mitigating a, a low drift, you know, but if I see if I'm going fast, maybe I would have a, a glucose tabs, or you could even say if 15 minutes in, I haven't changed, but I feel like I'm about to, I might do a dr- more drastic, maybe like a, a 70% basal rate change. And then that will kind of mitigate that slope. Now that's that, that would be my strategy. And you can experiment with those percentages and because I think percentages are easier to deal with than the, your actual basal rate, the actual number. Because it's easier to think about a fraction of what you normally have opposed to a, the number, uh, in my opinion. But I would change just ever so slightly, 15 minutes in, before I actually start drifting lower, dipping low, to try to combat that. And if I do it perfectly, I'll be stable the whole way without consuming calories. You know, so that's almost like the advantage then of messing with the pump is if you aren't trying to consume more calories with lows and whatever else, if that matters to you, uh, you don't have to because you can change your insulin basal rates and not have to consume uh, some kind of carb source. So Mm -hmm. I I would do a slight change, maybe 15 minutes in if needed and just always, but this requires more checking. You know, you Mm -hmm. just, for me, I'm always, always checking. And that way I can moment to moment uh, change my basal rates, you know, so yeah, uh, that's the side of that. Yeah, it requires, you know, yeah, like I said, more checking. And then also um, you need to have data going into it to know how your body responds um, to those types of exercises that you're going to be doing because you kind of have to foresee what you typically have as a response. So that way you can accurately change those basal rates. So that way you're getting a good, a good level um, graph versus, you know, you don't really know much about your body and how it reacts to thir- certain things because you haven't been checking or, or plotting. And so you say you, you're like, hey, oh, it's starting to go down a little bit. I'm going to go, you know, 50%. And then, you know, by the end of the workout, you're super high now or maybe vice versa. It wasn't enough and you kept dropping. 
Um, so, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's something you need lots and lots of data on, but it's definitely a good strategy if you do have that data, um, because you can get a nice, like you said, a nice, good graph where it's nice and flat and you can keep a nice stable blood sugar without having to consume extra calories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you hit a nail on the head that I missed for sure is, is that data point and that whether you're, if you don't have a CGM, CGM, then it becomes easy. You're always mm -hmm. getting the data. All right. But you definitely need to know what those numbers look like before you start messing with it. Like I said, have an idea. So if you want to use that kind of strategy, it might be better than to uh, just plan on not doing anything and only reacting if you need to. But even then, you can still get data yeah. up to that point, you know, and literally just say, this is just a pure experiment of I want to see what happens to my body. You do it a couple of times, you get a feel for it. Yeah, because you're not going to get it right the first time. You're going to try it. You're going to try a percentage and it's probably not going to be right. But hey, you're going to see, all right, that wasn't enough or that was too much. And so then you can start saying, okay, this is how my re body responds to this amount of percentage. Um, because that's going to be different for everybody. Like if I, and depending on, you know, if you take a basal rate of say like two units per hour, which is quite a bit, uh, which is yeah, something really that, yeah, which is actually where I was at when in college when I was playing football. Um, and then you take 90% of that, that's going to be a heck of a lot bigger drop than if you were at one unit per hour taking a 90% hit. So, um, so yeah, it's just something you got to play with and you're not going to be good at it right away, but it's something you can get better and better at. Mm -hmm. and, and to clarify that the number that I said, when I said like 70% or 90% is remaining so if it, i was taking 1.0 was my basal rate then i and i took 75 percent, it would be 0.75 you know mm -hmm. that's what i mean i'm not saying take 75 percent away or 90 percent away just to clarify just a small change is, is what i'm referring to but yeah no you're exactly right you know it took me 16 no how long was that first training cycle that first marathon 20 weeks 20 weeks of training for a marathon and then completely failing and biffing manage my blood sugar on a marathon, like absolutely messing that up for me to actually start to learn how I can run efficiently with my diabetes. So that that's, you know, 20 plus weeks and a, and five hours of hell that I put my body through specifically uh, at that mo at that race to learn now how I can run, you know, years later uh, and manage way differently than I did then. You know, you're going to mess up. You might hurt yourself but you shouldn't, you should always try to avoid those types of things. But the reality of being insulin dependent is sometimes you're in scenarios that aren't ideal, just how mm -hmm. it goes. Yep. So yeah, but okay. So let's do a little different scenario then. Instead of stable at like 120, let's say we're stable at a little bit lower of a blood sugar. I imagine for you, this wouldn't be that much of a change. Like let's say you're stable somewhere around like uh, 70 to 80. You know, you're kind of flirting the, ride, the line of hypoglycemia, of that low blood sugar. You might not have low, low blood sugar symptoms. You know you've, you've eaten at this point. You've been awake. You've ate something. Mm -hmm. But for like an hour, you're now stable, 70 to 80 milligrams per deciliter going into leg day. What, how, how do you approach that? So I think I would approach it two different ways depending on my day or depending on how I felt that day. Um, so one being, if I was at that spot, I was stable, I may eat 
somewhat of a meal, maybe not a full meal, but I will probably would probably eat something to bring my blood sugar up and not maybe shoot it up, but something that's going to bring it up nice and slowly. So that way, when mm -hmm. I start my workout, it'll be raising up, but then my workout will help bring it back down. And so it'll keep it somewhat level. Um, I think that would probably be my go-to, but uh, again, depending on the situation, like maybe I'm in a hurry, I don't have time for that. Um, then at that point, I get to the gym and maybe either before or after, depending on how I'm feeling, like if I'm starting to have low blood sugar symptoms, then I will definitely drink a juice box right then. Um, if not, if I feel fine, um, and then I check it and it's, it's a little bit um, on that low side, but not terrible. Then I may wait towards after my warm up and then drink a juice. Um, but ultimately, if I don't have time to eat a meal, you know, a little bit beforehand, then I'm going to probably drink a juice box um, to mitigate that inevitable, inevitable drop that's going to happen, especially if it's already at that borderline. I know my body, I know it's going to drop. If it's at that borderline, it's going to drop um, because um, with that stability being there, I know it's going to drop even with a little bit of exercise. Whereas maybe a higher stability, I'm like, oh, I might be able to manage this. Because um, I think for whatever reason, my physiology, I just know at that lower level, it's going to be more volatile. So something to bring it up, is going to bring it up a little bit quicker. Um, and something to bring it down, like exercise is going to bring it down quicker. So um, I know I need to do something um, when it's at that level. Yeah, I agree. Definitely something. But I would definitely say what I've learned is you don't want to do too much. Mm -hmm. Right. So you don't want to combine at that exact moment before the workout, a juice box and some kind of fuel source yeah. simultaneously. Or, you know, you don't want to combine uh, a juice box. Uh, and when you say juice box, we're just meaning like fat acting carbs. That's yeah. almost like yeah. for you, literally, it's a juice box. But for me, it might be a swig of juice or glucose tabs or something, yeah. like, you know, whatever you do. Um, but you don't want to combine fast acting carbs and, and some fuel source um, or in the same way, I wouldn't want to combine a fuel source, like a fast acting fuel source, fast acting carbs with changing my basal rate. Yes. Like that, that's too much at, at that point um, because you will go high and you'll see that high drop low and kind of ride down if you do that. But then now you have this weird, uh, spike that has now made you a little more uh, temporarily resistant uh, in in your muscles um, to insulin and your blood sugar homeostasis is now thrown off and your body's trying to say, okay, what's going on right now? And so you, you'd spike a little higher. And as you drift down, you might like at the end of the workout, just hit a hundred, but now you have this whole big area under the curve that your body doesn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely think taking it slow and whatever strategy of eating something complex or having something fast, or maybe even then, if I was stable, I would say if I was stable, if I was going to do one thing, I was just going to change my basal rate, which I have done this before. Uh, you know, I would do it at a much drastic rate. You know, I would not eat anything and I might say 50% basal rate cut it in half. And then depending on if I know I have 20 minutes before 
because of driving and getting there and warming up or what have you, that then has a lot of time to kind of take effect. I might start be dipping a little bit low, so I might need like a single glucose tab or something along those lines. But I can space out the change in basal rate and maybe some fast acting, a small amount. Now, the key is to be strict with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really easy. And you and I have talked about this before, where if you're having something to treat low blood sugars, if you go haywire and you just eat everything, because that's our instinct, that's when you're going to have lots of problems. And so mm-hmm. if you're having low blood sugar, you need to have, that's why you, I know specifically like juice boxes, because it's literally a confined amount opposed to me chugging a bunch of apple juice I have in like a gallon form, you, you know, in my fridge, you know, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of having a juice box in a similar way, you know, me change my basal rate and then maybe 20, 30 minutes later consuming a single glucose tablet or two tops, you know, depending on the scenario situation. Um, that's a very controlled amount that is eight to 10 grams of fast acting dextrose uh, with a change in basal rate that should probably get me through the whole thing. And now, but if I change my basal rate again, it's going to require more checking to make sure I don't drop low. Mm-hmm. And if I'm dropping low, what's the rate? How much do I need to change that? Do I need to just cancel the basal rate or do I need to bring the basal rate back up? And the more you mess with the basal rate, you need to be ready to change it back up or bring it down even lower. Mm-hmm. And so this strategy is always more checking involved. And I'm totally fine with checking my blood sugar five plus times in a single hour workout because it gives me the data I need to be efficient with my blood sugar mm-hmm. or maybe not efficient, but controlled. Yeah. So, and that brings up the point too, that uh, if you are checking your blood sugar physically at a workout, you are having more peripheral blood flow. You are getting more blood flow to your fingertips. And if you, the Lancet that you're using, you might, not need as deep of a, a hit to your finger or else you'll just be bleeding everywhere. Uh, Cause I've definitely bled over bars specifically because I've checked my blood sugar and then I think it dries and then I put pressure in my arms, my body, and I'm like doing a squat or, or, you know, some kind of snatch or something. I move the bar and blood just goes everywhere on the bar. And it's like, well, I got to clean that up now. And, yeah. and so you don't need to go as deep with your lancets when, when you have that blood, yeah. that increased blood flow. Have you ever had it to where you, you know, how you kind of like milk your finger up and then all of a sudden it just squirts at you? <laughs> <laughs> well, not only does it squirt at me, but I have glasses, right? So sometimes oh, it's yeah. like a Dexter Pate, like blood spattered paint <laughs> screen across my glasses lens. I'm just like, oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's happened at, uh, at a workout. That's happened not at workouts. And it's just like squirt Cause it's like, you just squeeze so hard. You're like, I know. And then it just comes yep. all out. Yeah, it scares yeah. you. It's like, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely happened. Um, let's see. What, what's the, do you have anything more comments on, on that scenario? Um, no, I think I covered what I wanted to. Okay. So this was a, that was a stable low blood sugar or borderline scenario, right? Um, I also do want to, cause it, it is different and I do do it enough where I'm sure you maybe do it too. And other people do it too. This idea of, you know, you read forms and you read articles of people getting benefits from fasted cardio or lifted fasted, you know, and that could be not necessarily you actually fasting, 
intermittent fasting or doing an extended fast or something like that. But you literally just, you wake up after, you know, you ate dinner at 6, 7 p.m., didn't eat uh, throughout the night, went to bed, and you're waking up first thing in the morning going to the workout, right? So both of these scenarios are a little bit different. At least I know it is for me with my responses. Way different. Uh, if I do it first thing in the morning and I'm, you know, quote, unquote, fasted, right? So maybe before the next scenario, which will be low blood sugar uh, before a workout specifically, uh, how does being stable at like 100 when you wake up and you're fasted, going to leg day with maximal effort, differ from fasted in the morning, leg day, maximal effort, and you're like floating around 80. How does that change things for you when, when you throw that fat quote unquote fasted element into it? So with fasted, um, my blood sugar response is completely opposite. So my mm -hmm. cortisol is higher and then I go and do a stressful event like exercise and my blood sugar shoots up. So if I do anything fasted, um, it can be running, it can be leg day, it can be anything. Um, my blood sugar is going to go up. So, um, so I have to respond to that. So I will take, if I go into it fasted, I will either eat. Um, and like, if I go, if I know I'm going to go in the morning, um, I'll either eat a little bit. It doesn't have to be a big meal. I can eat just a little bit and it's enough. And it can be something that's not going to change my blood sugar at all. You know, it's, you know, meat or something like that, a small portion of meat or eggs. That's, that's, or eggs. Yep. Um, that's really not going to change my blood sugar at all, but it does change my response. So just by eating that little bit, um, I don't have that, that high spike in, in the workout. Um, and I, and it will, it'll also help stabilize my blood sugar. So I don't, I won't have a, you know, serious low either. I may still get a little bit low, um, but it's usually a little bit better if I have a little bit of protein, um, in there to help keep it more stable. Now, if I decide I don't have any time, I'm just going to go fasted or I just feel like going fasted because for whatever reason, I'm not hungry or don't have time or whatever. Um, then I'll take, I'll, I'll take insulin, um, before I work out. And so, like you said before, the insulin is going to be spread around faster. So it's going to act faster. So I will take it either right before, or maybe during like my first um, set of, of, of working out, like working set, um, because it's going to hit much quicker and it's usually not a ton. It's, uh, maybe like one or two units is usually enough to mitigate that spike. Um, but I definitely need something. Cause if I go without, um, I will spike pretty darn high, like in the either two hundreds and sometimes not necessarily three hundreds. I never go that high, but like, you know, oh. maybe mid two hundreds. Um, it can be as high as that. So if I, and even, I mean, just that little bit of insulin is enough to kind of mitigate um, that spike. So, you know, normally the correction factor for that high of blood sugar is usually much higher than that. But if I hit it beforehand, um, it'll be, you know, I can just take those, you know, two units and it's going to be fine. But if I wait till after I get high, then I still have to take that higher correction factor to get it to come back down because that stress response has already started up in my body. And so it's going to be harder to then bring it back down. Um, so if I catch it um, beforehand, it usually takes much less and it's obviously easier on my body because it will stay much more level. Um, but if I forget about it and it ends up getting high, then I got to, 
I got to take a bunch of insulin for it to bring it back down. So again, this is for not a HIIT workout. This is for a high effort leg day workout. It could be, for me, would... it could be either one. Okay. Because mine, and, and when you say you get, you know, maybe 200 is mid 200s for a workout like this, is that a quick spike or is that a gradual raise? It's. If you did give yourself that insulin you mentioned. It is usually, it's somewhat slow at the beginning. Like it's, it's usually fairly level until it decides to start raising and then it's a big spike from there okay that's interesting i definitely don't get that response personally um it's interesting just you know the how wound up you are and from a nervous system perspective uh your state of insulin sensitivity it does play a role in these background um physiology responses and you know it's not just you're you and that's your genetics. It's purely, this is just that your current state based on other life factors and other, you know, things that I just mentioned. But anyways, I don't get a giant spike like that. If I am fasted, going to high intensity, not a HIIT workout, it will only be gradual. Now it will be hard to mitigate it. Like you said, if you don't get ahead of it and you don't, you know, get ahead, try to give insulin before it gets up there, but it will, it will just be like a drummer boy. It will just constantly just keep going up and up and up. Um, and, and it will be hard to, to battle that. Now, I, I've learned and I'm a little more hesitant to give actual a bolus of fast-acting insulin during a workout. Because I've crashed during a workout before. I know even endocrinologists are, are worried. And so this is, again, we already have a medical disclaimer, but again, we're not telling you how to dose your insulin. We're talking about our personal experiences and what you may or may not do. And always consult your, your doctors and your medical team before implementing any new strategies. But, uh, for me, you know, I, I would do a basal rate, but I would try to do a high, high percentage basal rate, anywhere from like 140 to 160% and try to do it as soon as possible. If I know I'm fasted uh for a high effort leg day now that then does become different if we're doing a hit workout a crossfit workout something like that that does change things then too uh for me but from typically if i'm fasted going into a workout i will then just go up and up and up and up over time and then sometimes even then with a basal rate a higher percentage basal rate maybe then i'll give like half a unit or one I'm much more cautious and I would rather pay and be cautious afterwards because I know my insulin sensitivity is going to be higher after the workout anyways. Mm -hmm. And so I know that I can use still a small amount of insulin as long as it's not gotten too high, you know, past 200, then it's a lot easier to kind of manage in the back end too. So then my strategy is that as long as it's not above 200, uh, if it's around like 160 and that's kind of where it's floated to and kind of stable at afterwards, then I'm okay with it. But, uh, it definitely doesn't spike high unless I'm doing a literal hit type workout. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I but think, the... um, I think I was maybe a little bit misleading with hit versus high intensity um for me like or high effort let's use let's use the word high effort versus yeah high effort so that the high effort was what i was describing 
my response to um, high intensity. Like I said, it's it's very similar. It probably isn't quite as much of a spike high um, because I do feel like the high intensity is going to fight that high a little bit more so than um, the high effort stuff will. Um, so I probably, that one, I will definitely probably check my blood sugar um, a little bit more. Like if I can get a break in between those things or like obviously since I have a CGM, I can just look at it. Uh, which is really nice. Uh, so that way you're not taking time out of your workout. But um, I will monitor, try and monitor a little bit more to see if I need to take some insulin, um, if I can get away with not taking it, um, or at the very least, maybe taking less insulin. So maybe taking like one unit or one and a half units um, to mitigate it versus like, you know, two or two and a half um, versus um where I would be taking or where I'd be doing the um, high effort workout. That's interesting. It makes sense. So I'm going to try to explain why it wouldn't be as high of a spike in a hit workout for you. It, it would be more so because a hit workout, you're breathing heavy, you have a higher oxygen demand, you're using more of a this cardio feature of no breaks, go, 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 which is a more uh, metabolically demanding overall type thing where opposed to your body catching up and spinning out cortisol, right? Because you have this aspect that is almost a cardio aspect of it with the um, high, you know, whether it be reps, weight, whatever, the combination of it almost you're saying does it creates not as high of a spike as if you were just doing a high effort uh, leg day. Is that kind of maybe yeah. the explanation you think about in your head yeah um but it's also kind of weird because like if i were to go for a run fasted and when i say fasted yeah, let's, not, let's not talk about running that's even okay. its own thing all right <laughs> we'll cut it off right there <laughs> okay yeah because that has its own thing and, and we we got a couple other scenarios to get into all right <laughs> but if you couldn't continue your thought without talking about running please do so no <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So uh, we talked about adding the fasting aspect in. So now let's go back into um, you've eaten. We're, we're at the stability level. I'm going to combine this too to see if we can make it a little bit faster. Um, so you're stable, but you're stable high. So meaning you just, whether it's because you haven't paid attention, and say, it seems weird, like almost oxymoron, you're stable high. Like, but the point is you're not yo-yoing is, is the point of this. You're stable high. You are, you're, maybe you weren't paying attention or maybe you were, you've been, you're sick and you've been fighting cortisol or something like that, but you're like constant, like 220 plus, right? Oh, let's say 200, 220. Maybe like you're not as high as like 280. Cause that's almost even like a different a scenario. Different, yeah, yeah. 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 So like you're stable around 200, 220 um, for an hour plus you've eaten, all this and that, and as well as a similar scenario of, for whatever reason, you haven't treated a low blood sugar, and but you have eaten that day, and for like an hour, you've been at like 60, right? Let's do the latter first. Let's do the stable at 60. I feel like we almost kind of talked about that, but you're actually low, right? You're, you're lo actually low going into the workout. How does that change things? All right, so if I'm low... Um... And also, 
depends a little bit on how low I am. I know you said 60, um, but like um, that's not terribly low for me. So like um, if I'm like 50 or lower, I would definitely eat somewhat of a meal. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a full meal, but it needs to have something with uh, protein that's going to help stabilize my blood sugar. Um, and so in that, if I have something that has carbs in it, in that, um, then I, I may just leave it at that and that'll be enough to bring it back up. Um, or if it's something that's like pure, purely protein or purely fat, um, that's really not going to necessarily affect my blood sugar too much. Then if I'm low, I may also have a little bit of juice or, or a fast acting carb to bring it up. And then that other stuff will help keep it up um, at that level. And um, so I'll have that beforehand. Obviously with the meal, it's probably going to be before I even leave the house or leave work or whatever. Um, and then if I do decide to have a fast acting carb, that's going to be basically right before, whether that's right before my warm up or maybe even right before um, I start getting into my first exercise. Um, just to make sure that it's not spiking beforehand and then it's going to turn into that yo-yo situation. I kind of want to time it so that way it's a nice, slow and stable increase and then it ho hopefully will stay um, at that good level that I wanted it at. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that strategy. Even if you want to play with your pump, if you're low, you got to treat the low. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to do a com some combination of that, you know, be what, what you suggested and what your um, strategy is to combine, you know, some carbs with, with a meal and, and hopefully it goes up and then it becomes stable and then you don't have to think about it. Uh, if you just have fast acting carbs and then wait for it, that's fine. Uh, I've done that before, but know that you might drop lower faster because yeah. you know, it's, a, it's a temporary bump it's literally a bump in blood sugar that you'll quickly burn through um, if you don't have food to stabilize it or then playing with basal rates or something like that then to uh, try to slow down the drop from the workout yep um, but yeah you, you gotta you gotta treat the low you gotta wait you know like you said you do it at work you do it at home before you leave and kind of just make sure that things are going up you know mm -hmm. it's, it's not it's never fun when you treat a low get to the gym and you're still low yeah and you're like what the what the hell you know uh that's because then you got to eat more you got to drink more and maybe you're too nervous that you might keep dropping so maybe you just sit and wait at the gym and it's like why the heck am i here when i could be sitting and waiting at home or something like that yeah so yeah i think it's a, a good point to um have something in your system to help stabilize it because like you said if you just have Depend, you know, and depending on how long it's been since you've eaten, if it's been a while, so like four, three, four, five hours since you last eaten, but it's still, you know, it's stable at that, um, that lower end. Um, it's still been a while. And so just that spike, that quick spike with the quick acting glucose, um, it's probably not going to last very long. Um, and so it's going to drop quick again. So with that scenario, I would really suggest, or, and, you know, for me, I would definitely pr try and eat something that's going to help stabilize it a little bit better. 
Um, so if I'm going to bring it up with quick acting, I need to have something to help stabilize it too. So that way I don't have to keep drinking or keep having glucose tabs to keep bringing it back up because fighting lows when you're trying to work out is like, it's just the worst because you're, the workout just kind of goes to hell because um, you're constantly just fighting, you know, lightheadedness. And so that way, you know, at that point you can't really push yourself as hard because you're worried about, you know, am I going to pass out when I do this or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to help keep it stable, whether you're doing uh, basal rates with it, that, that can help that too. But um, I always like using, using food to help stabilize it. And also another thing to say, keep, Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Mine was going to be a tangent. Go. Okay. Um, another thing to keep in mind is if you do eat a meal and it ends up being something that's going to put you higher, um, so you need to take insulin for it, then you also need to keep in mind that you're going to be doing a workout. And um, so you may not take as much insulin for it. So like um, if I eat decide to eat a meal that has carbs in it. And I know, Hey, this is too much carbs for the correction that I need. And so I'm going to end up being high. So I, I do need to take insulin for it. I just know I don't need to take as much insulin for it because my insulin sensitivity is going to change when I start to do that workout. And at the same time, like we said before, that insulin is going to kick in much quicker. And so you may end up then dropping back low again because um, you have too too much insulin in the system. Mm-hmm. I think our last guest Jay was saying that he doesn't he does everything he possibly can to make sure he doesn't have insulin on board, or rather, a recent bolus of insulin prior to working out. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it is what it is. Now his whole insulin strategy is way different than what you and I are talking about. Like his insulin strategy is with a medium lasting insulin on a carnivore diet. You know, that's a completely different diet and literal insulin than what the standard American, Australian, UK, anybody has, because it's the most common insulin mm-hmm. um, of fast acting insulin, right? So that's, that's even way different. But yeah, what your point's still true. You know, if you have insulin on board, you can you can burn through your blood sugar way faster because uh you gave yourself more than you needed to for the meal when you pair it with the workout yeah so uh, but you were talking about like low blood sugars and having low blood sugars and fighting low blood sugars throughout the workout i will say i have had a pr her personal <laughs> record best uh in the middle of a low blood sugar uh, i was doing an overhead press strict overhead press and my blood sugar afterwards was like 34 after this rep. But I was like maxing out an overhead press. I wasn't paying attention. My blood sugar tanked. And uh, because of the pure adrenaline, the epinephrine, that my adrenal medulla just pushed into my blood, that I was so excited that I just could push that this weight above my head. And it felt great. And then I put it down. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, fell by knee, took my blood sugar 34. I was like, that was great, but I got to go, like, you know, take care of this in the locker room. So if you do have low blood sugar, you might want to capitalize it really fast to get <laughs> to use the adrenaline, or you could just be safe and not an idiot like myself and, and, um, and, and take care of your health and make sure you're safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never purposely, I've never purposely used my adrenaline to do a lift, 
but I've definitely had similar situations to where I was doing like, you know, a max out or a max, really, really max effort thing where I um, was trying to go as heavy as I possibly could. And, you know, going into it, I felt relatively fine. And then as soon as I set the weight down, I'm like, holy cow. Um, and that's when it really hit me. Like, obviously, you know, people get lightheaded anyways when you when you do heavy lifting like that. But it's, it, you know, it was totally different because it was like, oh, this is this is a low blood sugar. So you go and check and it's like 30. I'm like, all right, juice box time. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. I haven't purposely like been low to do that. Like I haven't done that. But now since that event, if I'm low and I feel like I'm lifting good, I'm like, ah, I can... <laughs> can ride this out a little bit more yeah uh, i was telling um i was telling somebody at the gym the other day uh you know when i'm at the gym because they were just making fun of me for like not thinking through things and just my weird presence in the gym and i was like i use my brain so intensely outside of the gym that when i'm inside i don't like to use my brain i just gotta do things <laughs> i like to just be a pure meathead in there and then i can use my brain and clinical thinking and think through biochemistry and tca cycles and whatever else i need to throughout the day outside the gym but when i'm in the gym brains off i'm just doing <laughs> i'm just throwing weight around yeah <laughs> but uh, okay so we've talked about all these things from a stable point. There's only two more that I think we really want to. And this is almost exhausting to talk about as it is. Like we've been talking a long time about scenarios. Yeah. And to anybody who's a type two or a not diabetic, these are all the things that a diabetic needs to consider. Mm-hmm. Like literally at every moment of every day. So yeah. I'm exhausted just verbalizing it. Imagine if you're not, if you don't live it, imagine thinking about this all the time and yeah every single day every moment of every single day yeah like i legitimately i'm like man with is this podcast gonna be over yet like (laughs) (laughs) i don't think anybody's negatively talked about their own podcast on a recording before maybe that's the first like congratulations all right anyways uh so two more topics i want to make sure we we hit is one more stable of uh you're stable but high you know like we intro but then the yo-yo effect you know yep. like so then let's try to talk about yo-yo because that's probably the most confusing one you know that that how likely most people have some kind of yo-yoing that they're going into a workout too right like not many people are just stable all the time where they can use these scenarios uh that's why i kind of use the range of like an hour like maybe if you're stable for an hour mm-hmm. you can get these effects um but the yo-yo and, and just kind of drastically going up and down is probably more common to that average, you know, insulin-dependent diabetic. But before yeah. that, you're stable and high, you know, 200, 220, something like that, uh, milligrams per deciliter. For an hour plus, you've eaten. How does that change things? Yeah, so I think I see two different scenarios even within that. So one of them being you have a stable high blood sugar and you've been trying to get it down, but it's still stable at that high blood sugar. Um, okay. So in that scenario, um, you know, obviously frustration starts to set in and, you know, I get very frustrated, you know, with, with that, you know, in general, I, I'm a hard person to, to, you know, get angry and um, I'm, I'm pretty calm. But when it comes to my diabetes and my blood sugar, and it just sets me off like that, um, and you know I can get pretty, 
pretty uh, frustrated. So, um, you know, at that point, I will oftentimes take either the amount that I'm supposed to take for that correction factor, sometimes even more so because I've been trying to get it to come back down. And then I go and work out as hard as I possibly can because I my goal that day is to bring that dang blood sugar down. Um, and so I will, you know, I'll take as much insulin as it takes to come back down. Even, even if it, you know, requires me to crash, um, I want that thing to come back down um, because I've been trying to get it to come back down. So um, I'll take, um, in that scenario, I'll take at least the uh, correction factor that I'm supposed to take in a normal situation. I'll take at least that much. If not, you know, depending on how, how hard I've been struggling to come bring it back down, sometimes I'll take more than that. Um, and then I'll go, like I said, I'll work out as hard as I possibly can to help drive that insulin into the cells and, you know, get it flying around. So that way it spreads out faster um, and gets it, it gets it to come down. However, with a blood sugar that's stable at a, at, um, at a higher level, like that 200, 220 range, um, that wasn't necessarily because I couldn't bring it down. It was maybe because um, I just didn't have the opportunity. Like I um, was working and then I go back and check my um, CGM and it's been high. I'm like, oh crap, you know, I haven't been paying attention to it. So it's been high. Um, you know, at that time, I will take probably around half as much correction factor um, for that. And then, and then go work out if I can work out, you know, like right away. So like say, you know, I, I was working or doing something, wasn't really paying attention to my blood sugar. I check it either right before I head out to the gym or when I get to the gym, I, I check it and, and see that it's been high and stable. Um, then I'll, I'll take maybe half um, of that right then and know that, um, it's going to come back down with just that little bit of insulin. It's going to come down relatively, relatively quickly. Um, so yeah, those are my two scenarios that I usually do. Hmm. I think those are, are good that you pointed out those two scenarios. Cause it's like the first one that you spent a lot of time talking on, uh, you were trying to get it down. So there could be a, a large variety of reasons on why it's high and you can't get it down. It could mm -hmm. be you're sick, it could be you're stressed could be a kink in your pump, you know, yep. could be a whole bunch of things, or you didn't give yourself enough Lancet or Lancet, Lantis or whatever your long lasting insulin is, you know, for whatever reason, you're just, you're, you're high and you can't get it down. But I, what happens is if you're stable and you can't get it down, the longer you're in that, that physiology state, the more inflammation, the more cytokines, the more, uh, interrupting messengers of all your other hormones there are. So when you inject the hormone that is insulin, it's going to have a harder effect to be utilized in the same way. And that is a very different scenario than if you're high just because you've been creeping up high, you didn't give enough insulin um, at lunch. And like you said, you were going, going, going at work. And then you just notice you're, you're like 200 and it's just, it was a steady climb up. You know, you're stable, but like for whatever reason, it, it was more of a, a randomness thing compared to a, my physiology is working against me at this point. Mm -hmm. And those two, I think, you know, you hit it right on the head. I would even, 
maybe even that I scolded you for saying, let's not talk about running, but you know, you could throw cardio in there, right? Like real fast, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes, something like that. And that will get your blood flowing, kind of get things moving a lot. Just as long as make sure you have that insulin rate, you're not changing it to be lower for any reason. It needs to be the same, if not higher Mm -hmm. um, at that point. Um, But you gotta be careful. I'm not gonna go down that route. Um, So yeah, you can throw that in there. Um, what I would do is I would do, um, I would increase the basal rate once again, you know, I'd raise it to like 160% if I can. Sometimes with the pump, it depends on what you have your programmed basal rates at that I've noticed that will, if it's already a higher, supposed to be a higher rate at that time, sometimes it does or doesn't let you go to a certain percentage. Sometimes it only lets me go to 135%. Sometimes it lets me go to 160%. This is with both with uh, an older Medtronic model and the G670 that I have now. You know, I've noticed both of those limitations on there. Um, So that, and then I would maybe combine that with an actual insulin dosage uh, as well. But like you said, you know, you're kind of going in there trying to be a little more heavier, a little more max effort type thing. But sometimes it's hard if you're sluggish because your blood sugars, we've talked about how that can affect sports performance in the past, Mm -hmm. right? That's going to affect your your willingness to go hard if you feel like crap because of your high blood sugar. So knowing that and knowing that it might be a little harder to give max effort, it's okay. Like if you're not able to give the effort you think you need to, it's a, it's a purely physiological thing. It's not a self-worth thing. Don't beat yourself up if, if that's hard for you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. And at the same time, I think at least, the, and this is kind of just my mindset on that scenario. Like if you're, it's not necessarily about the output, I guess, or I should say the outcome. So like you may not lift as much weight or be able to lift as much weight for me in that scenario. It's just about going as hard as I can in that moment to help bring it down. Um, And so whatever that looks like, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just the goal is let's bring it down. Yeah, that's a very good point. Your goals then need to change what your intention is going into the gym. Some people's intention is to lose weight. Some people it's to lift a lot. Some people it's just to feel good. But whatever it is, if you're high in that scenario, either of those scenarios, you might have to give up whatever goals you have to combat your insulin or to combat your blood sugar. And and that's purely okay, you know, because you're not it's, it's you're not gonna get a PR if your blood sugar is high. You're just yeah. not. Yeah. So give up that thought that you're going to have an amazing workout. You might still feel really good afterwards, but it's still not just going to be the same as if you were stable at a hundred. Mm-hmm. Like it's just two black and white scenarios that are different. And so giving up that your initial goal to now my goal is my blood sugar and my health, my life, and I can still get the positive effects of working out uh, in so many other ways. But the first immediate goal is now my blood sugar control compared to lifting whatever weight I said I was going to lift earlier in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then what about the yo-yo effect? Uh, this is almost kind of hard to describe. Like what would you do scenario? Cause yo-yo could mean you're high and then you're about to drop low or you're low and you're about to spike high. Uh, so I don't know necessarily where we're going to, how we're going to approach this, this scenario, but uh so we'll just say the yo-yo effect, you know, yeah. what, what do you do if you're yo-yoing? Do you just wait? Do you maybe like not wait and, or not wait, 
you wait and you don't lift at all or, or you know, what, what do you do? Yeah. So I think it, for me, it depends on where I'm at in that yo-yo. So if I'm going high again, I'm like, gosh, darn it. I'm going high again and I can't control it. Um, then that's when I'm probably going to do, uh, definitely lean towards doing the workout. Now I will say, um, I know in our notes we have like using, uh, workouts to, uh, help stabilize it. And, you know, is that a good idea? And I, I think just from my experience of my body, it's a good idea for me to do something to shake things up. You kind of have to fight chaos with chaos, at least in my body. And so doing some sort of exercise or something to kind of clear the slate is something that I need to do to help keep things or get things back to normal. So um, I will use exercise to help get me out of that yo-yo. Um, and so, you know, ideally that's going to be when I start going back high again. So I'll use, I'll use exercise to help, to help bring it back down. So if it's going high again, um, I'll, you know, depending on the situation for the most part, I'll probably stick with doing that less correction factor because I am doing that yo-yo. So I'll do a less, less of a correction factor and then try and work out and to bring it back down. Now you are in a yo-yo, so it may, you know, it may come crashing back down a little bit. Um, but if you can, again, either have something to help stabilize the blood sugar or like with Garrett, you change your base rate, but let's talk about it in regards to a multi or a MDI situation. Um, cause that's kind of how I do things. Um, I would, uh, maybe have something to stabilize my blood sugar, like some sort of meat source that's not a lot. So very little just to help with that stability aspect, but then have, if it's going up, like I said, to have maybe a little bit of that correction factor, not the whole correction factor, and then go and do, you know, a hard leg day and realize that it may come down and may get low. But for the most part, in my experience with my body, if I have that stability factor in there with, with that protein, it's not going to, crash hard and then um and then go back into that yo-yo situation a lot of times it may still go low but it's going to be much slower and then my correction um, with the juice box or whatever is going to bring it back up and a lot of times after that then it starts to normalize because with that workout like we've talked about it's going to change your insulin sensitivity and change a whole lot of your uh, about your metabolism to where and your hormones and your stress response and all that changes after you do a workout. Um, and so for me, it kind of clears the slate and helps me stabilize back. Um, now, if it's going on the low end of things, you know, coming back down on that yo-yo, um, then I'll have my, you know, correction. So my juice box, maybe two juice boxes. If I, if I know that, Hey, it's going to be crashing and crashing hard. And then on top of this, I'm doing a workout. So maybe I'll do two juice boxes um, and then do a hard workout monitoring my blood sugar the whole time. Cause at this point, you know, blood sugar is kind of controlling my day. So it's going to probably be interrupting my workout more so than it usually does. And so I'm going to be checking it a little bit more often to make sure, all right, did it, did it come back up and is it, is it continuing to rise or is it now starting to level back off or maybe going back down again? 
Um, so I may have more juice boxes in that day just to kind of to fight it. Um, but for the most part, after that workout, it's going to be more stable, at least for me in my experience, it's going to be more stable after that, after I get it back under control. Yeah, I think the, I agree with those um, strategies. I think the importance is of the last one is to re recognize it's almost then a different scenario if you're high and then all of a sudden you start to plummet, like you're saying, like, you, like you're just dropping low. That is now, you know, like you said, you're going an uphill battle, you know? And for me, if I was doing a leg workout, I guess like this, yeah, I would just, kind of, I would have juice boxes and I would try to ride it and just battle it. I can't, it's almost like for me at that, that point, it's unpredictable. Like I mm -hmm. know what it's going to do, but it, it might spike up a little more or it might barely budge. But now I, like you said, it's going to change things for post-workout. It's going to change metabolism, insulin sensitivity in the short term, and it's going to change things afterwards too. So it's worth the effort in the um, in that leg workout to try to balance it. But if you are, let's say, sometimes like I'll be super high for a long time at night that wasn't I mismanaged my sleep and blood sugar for sleep, and then I give myself a lot of insulin and I start crashing. And now I'm going about now I'm going to yo-yo. Like mm -hmm. even that I haven't yo-yoed yet, I haven't gone from a high plat or a high plateau to a drastic skydive off of that cliff, uh, figuratively of the blood sugar. Now I know I'm going to yo-yo because I I need to eat something, and because I see the rate of how fall I'm or how fast I'm falling, I might eat too much. And then you throw in the the actual uh, because it's in the morning or something like that. Now you have a little more cortisol coming out from the workout too you know it's almost so unpredictable i would say for a leg workout it like you said it is worth doing it and trying to battle through it mm -hmm. now other types of workouts that might not be the case definitely when again not talking about running in detail but i know if i was like that prior to a run especially a long run i'm not running right away mm -hmm. i'm waiting to stabilize that because that's a different type of workout, but that's maybe a scenario, especially if you're new to try to figure out how to balance your blood sugar and, and lift like this. Uh, you know, that's a different scenario to say, I, I, I just don't feel comfortable. I got to stabilize first and that's okay too. It's, it's sometimes I, mean, I know you've done that as well. I know mm -hmm. plenty of other diabetics have said, I got to wait to work out. And it's an awful feeling because saying you have to do something, because your diabetes is the most disempowering part yeah. of diabetes, especially when you're trying to do something like workout, do something for you, your mindset, your body, for all these other goals, this reason. And it's a constant reminder that this disease is chronic and it's not going anywhere. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip the middle finger to you and try to take control. And so sometimes you have to take a step back try to stabilize it. And then you can work out later in the day. But if it's a, a true leg workout, even this max effort, it chances are it's worth battling through with, with insulin and with the lows, uh, with juice boxes and to try to just get through the workout because it'll help stabilize you post-workout much easier than if you did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's true um, in regards like, 
I guess I was talking, I, I was talking coming from a mindset of like, it's been yo-yoing for most of the day. Um, now in mm-hmm. your scenario that you brought up as far as like first thing in the morning, it's high. Now it's coming crashing down. Um, I think my mindset would be a little bit different in the fact that I would probably try, especially if it's on that downslope, I'd probably try and make sure it's somewhat stable uh, before I go out. Um, but yeah, if it's like constantly throughout the day and you're just like, I can't just, I can't get a control of this. Um, then, you know, sometimes I'll just use exercises that as that another chaos thrown into the fire, um, to help bring it back, bring it back to normal. And, and you kind of alluded to this, but like you, the, the workout may just be a total disaster and you may be like, the workout itself, but then also just like your handling of the blood sugar during that workout may just be a total disaster. It's still kind of going all up and down, up and down throughout that workout. But after that workout, if you can make it through that, that's usually when all those hormones and those that stress response starts to normalize things again, and you get kind of back to that baseline. And so after the workout, is usually when you start seeing those um, those results as far as getting your body back into more of a normal situation. Yeah, the battle, man. I, I just can hear like Jocko Willing's voice just say, <laughs> "Bite, yeah, <laughs> do it," <laughs> or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes that's just what it is. Like you just gotta fight your diabetes because it's it's trying to it's trying to win the battle and this is a war that you can't afford to lose, you know, and it's just yep. your life, your value, your goals are, are too important to, to say, I can't work out, you know, just in general, you know, I said, you know, sometimes you got to wait, but in general, like to just say, I can't work out. I can't do that because of my blood sugar. And that's, that's something you absolutely can do. Absolutely. You can do it. And it starts mm-hmm. with data, starts with confidence, starts with willingness to do it know you're going to fail you're going to mess up and you're going to learn and, and do more but having that data to back you up and that experience by just doing it is, is how you move forward with all that so yeah Whew. talked about a lot yep and again this is what it's the dependent diabetics think about all the damn time you know and this is just for working out for one type of workout mm-hmm. uh i mean I guess, you know, we use the example of leg day, but, and it is a little different with other body parts, other workouts, but uh, I think leg day is a, is a special exception. So, you yeah. know, we can maybe have other ideas like you and I are chiropractors, right, Grady? So like we can talk about uh, the biomechanics of the squad, maybe and how certain tissue types affect metabolism definitely get really nerdy and technical about some things, maybe in future podcasts or we talk about future different types of lifts, like more shoulders or, or running or, you know, this and that. But I think this is something that I, I know we've gotten a couple of listener questions to discuss some of this stuff. And I think it's step number one, you know, you want to work out, you want to get healthy as a type one diabetic, you got to move. And this is part of that moving. And uh, you just, this is, you don't need to know a science. You don't need to know crazy biochemistry or physiology. You just need to know your own data and learn a little bit about your physiology and just kind of go for it. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's all about that data. Mm-hmm. All about that data. We'll make that into a shirt too, somehow. Oh, yeah. That gives me some ideas. Uh, but anyways, so that kind of wraps up, uh, you know, this this leg day discussion. 
uh, from Quadzilla and I over here. But so we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up with a um, we'll burst my beta cells, uh, and it can be non-diabetic related to something recently, or maybe let's do like a let's not even do a burst my beta. Cells. We just spent a whole time talking about like blood sugar. <laughs> you know, let's not do burst my beta cells. Let's just say so. What was the like a frustrating thing in the gym recently? Some some workout frustration you've had recently. Let's do that. Oh. If you got, if you need a minute to think about, it, I got one. All right, you go first. So, uh, like I kind of said in the beginning of the podcast, I was overhead squatting uh, this morning. So that literally means uh, a barbell is above your head in a, in a far-reaching rip, and then you're squatting down in the hole. So opposed to the bar being on your back, it's up in the air, and it takes a uh, shoulder mobility to do so. Uh, I I have not overhead squatted a whole lot. Uh, you know, and, and said it's an Olympic type lift and it's its own thing, a whole different skill set. And but it was frustrating because, like an idiot, uh, I forgot even it wasn't kilograms, so it's all imaginary numbers to me, anyways, at this point. <laughs> but uh, but it was a decent amount of weight. And after two reps, I tried stopping the set and I tried receiving the load, so I tried receiving the bar. And, and I totally just screwed up my neck. I mean, thank God I'm a chiropractor and with those other chiropractors around me. But man, my neck is so jacked up from just like improper form and, and not finishing that set and rep in, in a safe manner. And it's just frustrating because even after so many years of, of lifting fun and experience, like I'm doing something new and I, and I still mess up. And I haven't been like felt a like an injury. It's not even a real injury, but it's just, you know, something on my mind all day to like, man, I really messed up and that lift. And so uh, that was something fun and frustrating about lifting recently today. So I got you. Yeah. Um, something that really frustrates me seems like every time I'm in the gym and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way about this, but when the weights are not put back properly, gosh darn it <laughs> it just bothers the heck out of me like if they're not put back on the right one like there's a bunch of different um amounts of weights on the same like weight horn like what the heck mm -hmm. especially when the when the number is written on the weight horn and you still can't put it on the right one it's like what are we so doing here it says like it's 25 pounds and then there's a bunch of like tens and fives yeah. or something like that. And yeah. Or like a 45. A 45. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Or when like people just literally they will lean it on the weight horn and not put it on. It's like, it is easier to put it on the weight horn than to put it right there where you put it. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm laughing because there's so much emotion in your voice. Yes. <laughs> oh man. So, so then the question then is, do you go and fix it or do you leave it? I fix it. What Even if it's not on the weight equipment that it's on and I see it over there, I'm like, gosh, so I put it back in and I fix it. What, what a good citizen you are. You, you are a true unsung hero of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that, that frustrates me too. Not as 
like it, and it'll frustrate me in the moment. I won't like ever go home and think about it. Like, I mean, obviously you were thinking about <laughs> something that frustrated you. Yeah. So it's not like it was in the forefront of your mind, but I've never been like, oh, sh- friggin' the weights were everywhere like, yeah. today. Like I've never thought that. Oh man, that's funny though. That's good. All right. Well, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in and hopefully you got some value out of it. Uh, and so as always, you know, uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sharing the podcast and share um, those uh, who rate and, you know, write reviews for it. Cause uh, I've noticed recently uh, that there's more reviews than, you know, last time I checked. So, so thank you to all those and we appreciate those and continue to do so. And, you know, we can continue to spread messages to those who need it and to help people live the life they deserve. So thank you very much. Yep. And, you know, as always, continue to ask questions, contact us. We're happy to help out and give advice or, you know, just to vent to each other on bursting our beta cells. But, um, yeah, don't be afraid to shout out to us um, and interact with us because we love it. That's right. So without further ado, then, we'll see you on the next squat rack of the Diabetes Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on the Die Buddies podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.